Hey, welcome to the Votary Podcast. We're a team of filmmakers based in New England who are passionate about storytelling. We talk about the impact the stories have in every part of our lives, from business, to culture, and everything in between. Thanks for joining us. Ready. Ladies and gentlemen, this is podcast episode 23, believe, and so. uh, we have our wonderful friend Dan Rosario. Dan, welcome to Hi, the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, here's a little bit of trivia, um, which I bet Dan will fail. Dan, can you remember where we first met? Yeah, I just got an F on that test. Uh, I, I can't remember. It's been a while, though. Um, That's because you're memorable and I'm not. No, I, I forget everything. <laughs> Terrible. Did, did Dan arrest, did the, Dan arrest the, you? The first place that I met you was at City Church um, in like one of, do you remember uh, Luis? Um, I don't remember his last name. Luis um, Diaz? Yes, Diaz. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good motion graphics guy. Yeah. He and I were going over some motion graphics stuff and you popped in to the office and you were showing it was either a short film or a music video. Probably a music video. It was, a, I, all I remember was that there was a funeral scene. Oh, yeah. That was a short film. Okay. Yeah, sorry, yeah, it was. Okay, yeah. So Louie and I had, had worked on it. We, we had a program back then at the Dream Center called Affected, and it was Affect Education, and we, we had uh, at-risk youth who were part of the production team, and we wrote that story, um, and I remember that that was now I remember it was the first time he'd seen a completed edit as well. So yeah, yeah it was a few months worth of work. Uh, I, I, am I right in thinking that was right around 2007, eight? Yeah. Somewhere there. Uh, maybe. Eight? Let's see. That was probably sooner. I would say 2004, 2005. Really? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Cause it's going back. Yeah. yeah well, wow. actually no, no. Cause I moved here in 06. Okay, so it into had to 07. Be sh- yeah. But it was right after I moved here. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere in there. Yep. So that's going back. So that's, well, that's I as far back you, as I remember. When you first mentioned <clears throat> Dan to me, you had come to our old office. And in just the fact that you were a detective who was a filmmaker was like the coolest thing. And, and you were all jazzed up. You're yeah. Like, You're like, I met this guy. He owns a red. <laughs> He's like a legit filmmaker but he's also a police detective and it was like this like i was like wow this is like you were like mythology like mythologized is that the word <laughs> and, yeah and so normally mind. we ask people how they got into filmmaking we'll get into that but let's let's even just say this how'd you get into police work oh. uh, so i remember exactly the day that um the idea came to mind so my stepdad was a police officer in the city and he said to me hey kid take the test and I looked at him and I said, okay. <laughs> it was the first time that the idea even popped into my head. He just told me to take the test. And so I did. And I got 100 on it. <laughs> so I figured, okay, so maybe I know a little something about this. Um, and the rest is history. It, it happened pretty quickly. I took the exam uh, and was in the, the academy in less than a year. And uh, you know, from the moment he told me to take the test to the time I actually was pinned with a badge uh, it was less than a year, probably about 11 months. Date yourself. When was that? That was in 1989. So 33 years ago. Amazing. And we're doing this podcast in 2021 and you are retiring. 
Yes, I am. September 29th, 2021. Less wow. than three months away. I didn't know two, that. Two plus months away. Yeah. You're done with police work um, for, for the most part, right? That's right. Well, for the most part, <laughs> absolutely. For the all part? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, um, it's been something that I've, I've been thinking about for a while. And just the timing is right. And I think that the next step of my life is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of work, but it'll be a lot of fun. So a lot of times people thank um, those in the armed forces for their service. But I also want to thank you, sir. You know, it, it is a, a service to, uh, you know, serve our local community. And uh, especially now, it's a kind of a challenging time. I, I sure. haven't really read the numbers, but I know that um, recruiting is down and people are retiring and, Oh yeah. It's it's, not, you could maybe speak to it more, but that's the, a whole other podcast, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Mm. So, um, it's not every day that you meet someone who's made a career out of police work and loves filmmaking and storytelling, um, as much as you do and as, and has done as well as you have done, um, at crafting, um, that sort of second career. Yeah. I've, you know, I, so I've, I've managed to balance them both for quite a while. And I, I would say that the filmmaking part, the creative part has really been how I've mitigated all the other things that happen. Um, and, and so things that I've experienced in my police career have been much easier to deal with because I have that creative outlet mm. and it, it's given me a unique perspective, a unique sort of storytelling perspective, uh, very firsthand, real world uh, type things. And I try to write some of that into my stories. I try to write some of those real world experiences and make them entertaining as well. So that's kind of where I am right now. You, you know, when we say Dan's a real filmmaker, we mean Dan really is a real filmmaker. If so, and a gear nut, like you've amassed how much gear over the years, like crazy, yeah. <laughs> high, high, high end camera packages and very expensive grip and Stuff that, uh, you know, if you're not pro full time, all doing, doesn't seem like you should have it, but you, you have, and that's, <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. And to your credit, you've been so generous in loaning that stuff to us over, over many years. And I just, another thank you to well, you for that. You're welcome. I, having the right tools is important, obviously. Um, and I'm just the study of it. When I, when I see something I've never seen before, I want to know how it was done and, and, a lot of times that that has a lot to do with the gear how a camera moves and why it moves and you know the best way to really get that thing uh to match what i've seen is to have the same gear and so over the years you know some guys like sports cars <laughs> and houses on the cape and i like gear so I, I bought a lot of it and knowing how difficult it is to come about some of that stuff when i see fellow filmmakers who are in need I, you know, I just lend it out. Some guys want to rent everything and I'm like, nah, just, just take it. That's just awesome. Take care of it for me and bring it back safe. So when did you, the same question, when did you first think about, you know, Hey, I like movies, maybe I want to make them or. I, so I don't, I don't know if I can really pinpoint it, but I, I know that. So the, the performing arts or art, you know, like artistic expression has always been part of who I, who I am. Uh, as a child, I grew up in church around music and musicians and, you know, performances. And so I was he heavily influenced uh, by the church environment, you know, very young. Um, and so my, my dad was a trumpet player. He was a pastor. And so I used to watch him get up there and, you know, he'd play with the, the church band. 
and I learned to play guitar when I was a little kid. And so it sort of started there, that artistic part of me. But since I was a pastor's son, I was in church so often that there were times that I would get bored, to be honest with you. And so my mom would sometimes give me a piece of paper and a pen and, you know, sit me down and tell me to keep myself busy. So I started drawing. And I, I sometimes I'd hold the book open, I'd, you know, and sit there and I'd, and I'd draw and I'd draw kinds of characters and cartoons. And, and I started mimicking things I was watching on television. So you're drawing in the Bible? So, uh, yeah, sort of. I was sort of using it as a... Highlighting, as underlining. A, yes. Um, <laughs> I, did the, I did the same thing, only it was with so, the yeah. pamphlets. Yeah, whatever, yeah for whatever. sure. Yeah, Nobody yeah. reads so, Leviticus anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I'd hold it up like I was reading something important, and then yeah. I was drawing on the inside. Yeah. Um, and so that, that sort of led me down that path towards... Because I'd get a lot of feedback. My mother said, you drew that? I'm like, yeah, like, geez, that's great. Can I keep it? And I was you know, why? <laughs> this is my first impression. Can you sign it? Why? <laughs> uh, but I just kept going along that path. And so because I had the music in my blood and I was drawing, um, you know, as, as a kid, as a teenager, it's sort of, uh, you know, graffiti art was my thing. Uh, loved the colors and the shapes and the styles. And, and it, it sort of feels like it all melded together. So anything that really was an expression of creativity uh, was born from my experience in the church and and then you know always wanting to to deliver a message of some type something that was hopeful or positive was like very natural for me it's something that i i i heard so often as a kid um so between art and music it sort of culminated in that final stage where filmmaking or the the art of storytelling through visual content just seemed natural. I, I was at one time a music producer. I had I had a recording studio. I had it for years. I mean, I still have it. I just don't do it as often as I used to. And I've been consumed by the, the idea of filmmaking for, I don't know, 25 years or so. What wow. was the first thing you made? I think the very first official production uh, was in 1993. Uh, I... I, I I think it was through South High School, and we they had a television production um, uh, program, if you will, and I remember uh, needing some assistance, so I went up there, and I knew they had a television station, or they had gear, and I met a teacher named Frank Walsh, and uh, Frank was probably the most influential person. I was, you know, had maybe four years on the job as a police officer, uh, and I'd done other things, but never experienced anything to do with television production until I met Frank. And Frank, you know, being a school teacher, was just so open to sharing what he knew. And I was a policeman, and I was a young policeman, and going into the schools, kids saw me there. And it was just, I don't know, just everything clicked. And F Frank and I just came up with this idea, let's make a video. And we ended up getting three three of the high school kids at South to 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 make a rap video. And it was, it was, it was really cheesy, but it was kind of cool because all we did was <laughs> we used the chroma key, a green screen, and the kids wrapped in front of the, the green screen. And then we sent out a bunch of students to go j just get some B-roll from Worcester and we put it in the background. Amazing. And that project was called Too Smart for the Streets. And uh, we won the Drug Fighter of the Year Award by, from Massachusetts. So at the time, I think it was Governor Dukakis, maybe I forgot. 
this is a while ago, but amazing. It was a big deal because they they had a they had an event in Boston at the Kennedy Center, and I shared the award with uh, actor Charles Dutton. Do you know who he is? He he was in Aliens. He had a show on TV called Rock. Mm. Um, so it was pretty cool because I watched the show and and I ended up talking with him for a long time, and you know every little step, every little affirmation in there. Every little confirmation in there made drew me closer and closer to wanting to continue to do it, and it was because of that program that uh, the Governor's Alliance Against Drugs, which is the organization that recognized the video, uh, pulled me aside afterward and said, "Hey, you want some money to make another one?" Hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, sure, hmm. let's do it." Um, and so from that one was born the Live in Peace Project, and that was in '96. That was that was the first time I filmed anything with like you know 35 millimeter film and Cook lenses and an, and an Ari camera and a whole crew. That was wow. that was the first time, and I've been addicted to it ever since. There's just there's no getting it out of my blood now. Wow! So it's been a few years. It's awesome. Um, what did you shoot that first high school project with? What the, camera? Uh, those were Sony uh, VHS cameras, and they were they were. I mean, they were pretty old cameras, but, you know, <laughs> I'm guessing that maybe those were donated to the school at some point. They were old when we touched them, old when we used them, but, you know, the final product was a VHS tape. So that's pre-digital, and you probably don't have a copy of that. I do have a you copy do? of it. I absolutely do. Oh, I'm sensing yeah. a podcast edit. Cut yeah, away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, so yeah. good. I have, You're uh, going to deliver like 16 terabytes of like videos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe you can edit through this. I, <laughs> it's just his way of getting us to edit his, least, his latest project. Yeah, exactly. I'll end up with I a real after it's over. I have some footage. You know, we filmed for like three months in like Guatemala. Yeah. Here's a script. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow that. Did you guys cut that together. I'll take, uh, you know, first draft and, and I'll let you know what you should change. Uh, so yeah, it, it's been um, it's been a long road, but it's been a learning learning process. And every opportunity that I get to to work with somebody local, uh, you know, I'm always reaching out to folks. I'm always willing to learn something new, and I, I always want to share what I've learned. Um, there, there's an old saying that's something that I've repeated a million times to people: is that a candle loses nothing by lighting another. Mm. And so, so I've always been, you know. I, I don't mind sharing uh, what I, I what I've learned, and I love when I learn something from someone else. Um, it's been my attitude from day one, and it's been beneficial to me. People are usually willing to help. Mm. Usually, yeah. yeah. Have things changed a lot in the last? Like, I mean, you've been doing it for a while, so in the last twenty years, it seems like Boston and Worcester have a little bit more attention with the f just like Hollywood films, and more films are being shot around here. Like has have you felt that change? Like Dra even just just being like dramatic. Yeah, the, yeah. The change has been dramatic. So at one time, I mean, it's, you know, Worcester people would look at you and go, "Where you're making what? what? Yeah. Where? Yeah." Um, I would say, I'd say that the changeover started back uh, when they shot American Hustle here, mm. and I don't know what brought that film to Worcester, uh, but I'm glad they they came down. The tax um, credit. Well, Could that. Yeah. But I yeah. I heard too because it was a, a film in taking place in the 70s there's so much in Worcester that <laughs> yeah, hasn't that changed has from the, the old time look yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah we got a lot of old mill buildings and, and yeah. yeah I knew they didn't develop the city for a reason yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to keep it a film set <laughs> well, period piece that. sorry yeah. it's funny though because yeah. now it doesn't have that feeling no, in the same way it's, it's starting it's, to modernize it's updated yeah. for yeah. sure yeah, yeah. but if you go you just go 
anywhere downtown near where the old Galleria was, and suddenly you go, wait, you know, wow, this has changed. It's very modern. Yeah. So what 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 happened with uh, American Hustle? With so I think I think that American Hustle was the was the first time um, that. I saw like a, a like a major Hollywood production being shot here, right, you right. know, with big stars. And even though I remember being maybe 50 feet from, uh, you know, a couple of the leads and having no idea who they were, I, I really didn't know who they were until afterwards. And I watched the film and I thought, wow, they really made Worcester look cool. It looks like a film, even though quite honestly, I was distracted by the familiar places. Me too. Uh, I had to watch it a second time too, to enjoy yeah. the story. But the first time I saw it, it it's similar to uh, Andrea Jamin's film, uh, uh, Honest An Thief. Honest Thief. Yeah, very, so, very distracting so, if you live here. Yes. So so looking at the at the locations, I'm like, I know exactly where that is. And it, mm -hmm. and it pulled me out of the film. So then when I watched it again, I was like, I could yeah. enjoy it for what it was. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed with how long Major Taylor Boulevard was in that film. It's probably like 30 miles but it's actually they just like kept going. Back yeah, and forth. Just, I was like, wow. If you look at the window, you see the same thing going back, they and, forth, keep, back yeah. and forth. They just keep driving backwards in their car and yeah, just drive forward. Pretty again. cool. Uh, uh, and so, you know, watch, watching the way that they put that together, it, it's all, it's all part of what I've always believed was possible that, that we could have an industry here or at least local. When I say local, New England could have uh, a Hollywood yeah. level industry. And it seems to be happening more and more. I mean, hundreds of films since, since uh, American Hustle was filmed here, are in the New England area. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable that the, the amount of uh, cast and crew that are being hired from the New England area is amazing. And, and it just, it, it didn't exist 10 years yeah. ago. It, it's, the changeover has been fantastic. And I have it on, on a good authority that this is probably the way it's gonna go for a long time. Yeah. Um, as weird as it sounds, I heard the other day that they're even going to film scenes from uh, Black Panther 2 in Worcester. Oh, wow. And I scratched my head going, where? Nah. <laughs> oh, okay. That's cool. I mean, that, that, it's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I can confirm it. There hasn't been a press release. But I have, in fact, seen uh, lots of people repeating it on Facebook. I've, I saw a, you know, Wakanda 2 or something like that. It was some kind of... Uh, mm you know, announcement. And I thought, okay, if that happens, then they're, then they're telling the truth. Worcester's really arrived as a place where it's filmmaker friendly or Hollywood friendly. And we invite people in. Sure. Use our city. Come on down. Perfect example of that. Um, in uh, next week, uh, the, the film Fletch starring John Hamm will be filming in my office next door at the police station. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, pretty groundbreaking yeah i saw an article that he was um he was downtown just the other day doing a scene or something i yeah. didn't know until i saw it that they were filming here but. yeah there was they were right across the street from uh, uh westerman's prop house um uh, cicero's the bar shooting a scene there as well mm -hmm. and so you know i mean look, look at who we've had in our city we have had george george clooney and a bunch of all the folks that you would 10 years ago they would have asked you where mm -hmm. right uh, you know where is that um but it's good. It's a good feeling to, to know that this industry is here. I'm hoping that it's here to stay and that folks like us who have always, you know, sort of been pining for a real opportunity uh, can jump on that train and, and, and make it happen. I, I'm certainly not going to stop trying. Yeah. So well, even uh, Fallon here, who is interning with us, her boyfriend is a grip on Dexter right now. Cool. 
Yeah, I've got I've or got a, a bunch of friends on on Dexter, um, and before that it was Castle Rock, and that series right. shot in this area, and they used a lot of locations in Worcester. I know Hulu production. Uh, this, I mean, if we went down the list, yeah. you know, we'd it's have just to. Getting, it's it's maybe it's getting to the point where it's not it's it's commonplace enough that it's not so easy to to list it all out. Yeah, we talked about it with Andrea, um, that you know where the industry is going is really interesting. You know, it seems like people are becoming more and more disillusioned by Hollywood and LA is experiencing mass exodus to all these other cities in the, in the country. And, um, it feels like it's becoming a little more ubiquitous where cities like Austin and Nashville and Worcester are getting more and more films being made there. They're not all staying in LA. Right. And there's probably tons of reasons for that, but it, it is exciting to see where it's going to go. Absolutely. And it's funny that when you, when you mention those cities, you pause that Worcester for a second, almost with a smirk, like, am I really saying yeah. this? And that's kind of cool, isn't it? Like we're, we're on that list. Yeah. And, and you know, 10 years ago, that even considering saying that would have been so ridiculous. Well, and, 10 years ago, we people would have just said Boston. Right, Boston. Well, <laughs> exactly. Forever where are you shooting that? Where, said, where do you oh, live, Boston? Well, Boston. Uh, yeah, no, hour, it's not Boston. An outside, but, yeah. 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 All right, but in all fairness, with the with Fletch, so the Worcester Police Department Detective Bureau will actually be the Boston Police Detective Bureau. Oh, so, it happened. They did that. So it's written into the script. I yeah, imagine yeah. that they need to do well, that. Well, because Boston, so. yeah, has a more of an interesting reputation. Sure. Wait, did you have a, a role? Uh, uh, with American Hustle, were you not not obviously a role? But did you? No, I wasn't part of the production. You weren't, you weren't part of the production. You no. were hanging out there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm so because I have a, a little bit of access to things, um, I was able to get into the set. Yeah. Um, and it was through some of the connections of the folks that I know who are working in the industry now. Was it when uh, they were shooting in Nick's Bar? Uh, I, I wasn't remember, at Nick's Bar, but by Union it. Station. Oh, Union. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That the the uh, museum and Union Station are very obvious when you watch the movie. Oh, that yeah. took me out of the yep. movie too when I first saw it. I was like, the booth. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> just, even some of the downtown like, scenes, I was like, ah. Yeah, you just you get like excited to see it on film because they like they just yeah. they, do, they do these beautiful just like environment shots with no people sometimes, just like yeah. a piece of trash blowing yeah, by. Yeah, yeah. Just like boop, and you're like, That's it's it's funny because it, it it goes to the whole you know the suspension of disbelief and and the moment that you recognize something and and you see okay so that's a movie it pulls you right out of the totally. story it's, it's happened to me several times sure yeah i uh, give an example a good friend of mine you probably know him anthony anthony hung is this a, a stunt guy oh yeah i, I can't oh, tell yeah. you how many anthony. times i'm watching the movie and then and there's anthony him. oh wow <laughs> and yeah. so i always stop the movie i take you know, i take a screenshot and i'll say you've ruined it again yeah <laughs> that's I, funny. I, I must have sent well he's good He's, he's very good. good. Yeah, so very it's good. like he shows up and stuff. And that's Anthony. Yeah. Anthony's a kid that I met um, in my after school program affected. Um, he showed up one day and he was hanging out with some of the other kids in the program. And, you know, I'd never seen him before. So I asked, who is that? And he heard me and he came right over to me. He goes, hey, you ever see this? And he pulled out a quarter and he did this magic trick. And I was just stunned. I'm like, wow, that was cool. How'd you do that? And he goes, I'll tell you someday. Well, that was in 2004 and he still hasn't told me. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, you know, from the first minute that I met him, um, I knew he was a good guy and I've known him all this time. And he, he's another kid who's literally been working really hard to get into the industry. 
and he's finally made it in uh, during his stunt work. Uh, he was in Glass. He was in. He's been on I don't know a dozen television shows. He's been in all kinds of movies. Mm. You know, um, Spencer Confidential. I'm watching that, and there he is sitting at the Mexican restaurant. And mm. I mean, it's just one of those things where I'm always catching him in there in in a film, and it's. It's pretty cool because more and more folks from this area are making their way into that industry, both in front and behind the camera, and it's exciting. It is really cool. When you were just talking it. about Andrea, like I have that same feeling. Like we would go around to the different film fests, and they were just these little nothing fests, and you're yeah. just fighting to scrap your way into some indie thing. And here she is directing, you know, big or uh, producing, excuse me, big pictures. Amazing. And it's really cool, you know, yeah. to see to see the progression. I remember seeing her credit in a film, I forget which one it was, but she was the line producer. And I was like cheering. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's so cool. That's from right here. Andrea made it now, yeah. you know, executive yeah. producer. I yeah. mean, that's a big step. And yeah. I'm pretty sure she knows that a lot of us aspire to be where she is and feel really proud of what she's accomplished and i know she's not going anywhere she's just going to keep bringing films here and i know that she she goes where she's needed but i think her heart is really here and she'll she'll just continue to bring films back to worcester which is fantastic do you think, is. Do you think yeah, there's any uh is there a bad side to that do you think uh, well i mean i would imagine that just like any other city um you know too much of one thing is bad anywhere uh and and eventually you know the the that welcome mat that exists right now will get a little smaller and smaller it depends on who it is what they're doing what the circumstances are um i i've never once heard or know of a single film company that has ever been allowed to use the worcester police department as a backdrop i mean we're talking this is an actual working Detective Bureau. These, these are these are real people, real victims, real crimes, real cases, and you know the the openness and the welcoming that that Hollywood is receiving here is going to continue to keep them coming, mm -hmm. because I would imagine that most places would just shut the door and say no, that's not possible. So it's exciting for me because I work there, and uh, you know I know my office, and it's going to be fun to watch the process, and I'm you know I'll be the fly on the wall watching everything going on. Um, and, and it, it's interesting because the city may continue to be very open about certain places and maybe not in others, but I can't see it shutting down for a while. And so yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> right. So is there a bad side? There's a bad side to everything. Yeah. I was just, cause you know, as filmmakers, it's exciting. It's yeah. just, it's, it's like the shiny object. Oh my God. Like, look, big films, big productions coming to us. But yeah. then like. Wait, is there? But then you look at Hollywood. And you're yeah, like, is there any? Is, are that. there any unforeseen things that we're I'm not sure, thinking of? That could be sure just a question, are. you know. I would I would equate it to the idea of what if we had a casino in Worcester? Like, wow, would we bring so much, you know, money and? But whenever you do things like that, it also brings the bad parts with it. Mm, so yeah, there's probably a bad side somewhere, but I'm hoping I never run into it. I want to look on the bright side and, and, and hope that we end up with more and more films here and, or at least in the area. I mean, Worcester's a pretty cool city. It's, it's the second largest in New England. It has been for a long time. I remember, you know, the old, uh, the heartbeat of, of Massachusetts lines from way back in the day. But I think that's more real, more true today than it's ever been. 
at least in the film industry, people are flocking here. And that's really, really exciting. As an officer, did you spend your whole career here or other places too? No, I worked. So I started, I was 20 years old when I graduated the academy. I was just a kid. Mm. Um, and I've worked my entire law enforcement career in the city. Uh, I spent uh, the first five years in uniform. And and then I, I worked in uh, so what, what was called a gang intelligence office and then community services. Um, uh, shortly after, but then I, then I got, uh, the job in the detective bureau and I've been, I've been in the detective bureau for 28 years now. Wow. So you mentioned earlier, um, and I know this is the case from talking to you over the years that, that film and storytelling has been sort of like your creative outlet and that's been important to you. How long did it take for you once you became an officer to start bumping into serious mental challenges? Um, with the job and with life and things that you see and and just talk to us a little bit about about, about that process and sure. just some of the things that you've had to experience and deal with over the years. So I would I would say that um, from day one, literally day one, at the police department, um, I had be I started experiencing things that I never imagined I'd ever see, uh, and. You know, the unfortunate part of, of being a police officer is that we get to meet all of the people that most of society wants to pretend doesn't exist. And we have to face it, you know, head on. There's no, you can't sidestep it or pretend it isn't real. And I've had, I, I learned very, very quickly um, what it's like to watch someone die, um, to, to deal with a great deal of pain, um, to watch people go through, you know, hardships and, and uh, all kinds of terrible things from addictions to, to you name it. I mean, violent crime. Uh, and so as a young man, it, I wasn't surprised by any of it because I, I, it wasn't that far removed from my reality growing up in the neighborhoods that I grew up in. But um, to witness it from that perspective was different where suddenly it wasn't just something that happened in the neighborhood. It was something I was responsible to try to solve, try to figure out what happened. And so those early years, especially in uniform, um, you know, whenever I f saw something that troubled me, I could talk to the guy sitting next to me about it. And usually it was a guy who had more years on and they would, they, you know, you, you give a guy advice or you, 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 I would get advice on how to deal with these things. But if my default, whenever something was really, really stressful, was always to turn to something creative. Uh, and, and I would get lost in illustrating or, you know, music production. And, and so it, it helped balance a lot of it. Um, but I, I would think that one of the things that truly stressed me out in, in my career as a police detective, um, especially working homicide cases, was always the... The, the notification to the family that a child had been murdered. That that's look, I, I'm going to miss a lot of things about being a police officer. That's not one of them. That is by far the worst thing I'd ever experienced um, to have to tell a mother or father or parents or siblings you know, that their loved one has been killed. Mm. Um, there's something about that whole process that is, that has always you know, been part of the way I, I, I think about the job. It's always something on the forefront. When a wife loses her husband, she's a widower. When a husband loses his wife, you know, uh, I'm sorry, 
she's a widow and he's a widower. Children lose their parents and their orphans. But I noticed that there's never been a single word used to describe what it's like to be a parent who loses a child. Yeah. And, wow. in, and in a society that, that labels everything, <laughs> literally everything has a label. This isn't just a table, it's a wooden table. Right. You know, you go through the whole thing, everything has a bunch of multiple, multiple, over and over and over. Think about it. No language, no culture, at no time in history has ever labeled a person, a parent who loses a child because it's so incredibly painful and not something people want to ever talk about. No. That it's, it's missing. Mm. And so I've had, to, I've had to deal with that my whole career face on to look in the eyes of a parent and have to tell them your your son was shot and killed last night or your you know your daughter was found dead it's the worst thing ever and you know they show it on tv and you know the, the television actors come in and they just say it but that's not reality mm -hmm. the reaction from parents varies and that's where the stress comes in as as a police detective i always found it painful to be the person to deliver that devastating news and, and I, you, you carry it out when yeah. it's all said and done, you go in, you're a professional. I'd hold people's hands. I'd hug them. I'd hold them, whatever they needed to do to cry. But then when I would leave, I'd be the guy who most affected be in the car with tears in my eyes going, how much longer do I have to do this? This right. is no fun. Right. I so, guess Hollywood was just assuming people just did that so much that they became numb to it. Maybe when you, yeah, when you no, watch it and it doesn't feel real, you, you, you can never, you can never truly be numb to another person's pain. Yeah. Uh, when, when you have to deal with it in that particular way. So it, it is something that for me, that's the greatest stressor mm -hmm. no, no other part of my job has ever been surprising. Yeah. Um, that particular part is never any fun. I know what to expect, but it never has never gotten easy to do. It's always been a difficult thing. And creativity is how I've been able to balance that stress. Mm. When I feel it and something at work happens and we see some pretty terrible things, things I can't talk about in the podcast, but it, it's try to imagine all the monsters you've ever imagined in your life and roll them up all into one. And I've seen at least 10 or 20 of them. And it, it's the only way really for me to balance out the, those troubling times is to literally fall in to the creative parts and to reach out to people who are creative and want to, you know, do things that are entertaining. That's how I've managed to go 33 years without completely losing my mind. Mm. Um, well, that's debatable. But <laughs> it, it's, un, it's uncommon though, right? Um, in your line of work. What, it, what do you, do you what's get, uncommon? Well, are there the a lot of outlet? Yeah, are there are a lot of other filmmakers in your department. No, no, <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, photographers that, or people who like to draw or you know, music I, producing or anything like that. I don't know, honestly. I don't, I don't think so. I've never been approached by another uh, fellow officer to, about these projects. I've had guys interested in the work, yeah, but no one who's as passionate about it as I do. But I know a lot of guys who have their own outlets. Some guys sure. are. They, they love the gym. Some guys um, will literally, they travel or they do other things. Um, everybody has some way of dealing and coping with those, you know, those stressors. Yeah. For me, it just happens to be the creative side. Yeah. It's like film, film therapy. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, yeah. is it, yeah. is it, does it actually, is it a coping process? Is it healing or is it just something that's just like, I, I can't not do this. So when, when I'm looking to actually like escape, <laughs> what what I'd do is I'd watch a film uh, and, you know, love it or hate it. 
I'd go back, I'd watch it a second time, but I turned the sound off. Hmm. And this time I would take notes and I would write down, why is the camera moving? I'd ask questions about that. I'd write the title of the film. Why is the camera moving? What did I feel strongly? I know what's happening in the scene, but did the camera movement help me understand what was happening? And just sort of analyzing the film helped me think beyond just the story, writing things down going through it. And whether it was actually helping or just killing time, either way it was effective and, and it helped me a bunch to, you know, to get through those tough moments. So usually if I, if I get home at midnight and I was stressed out, I'd pop the TV on and I'd watch a movie. And I, even though I'd go to bed late, usually in the morning I would look at my notes and I'd go, wow, that, what a terrible way of writing that down. And, you know, <laughs> but it was at least something that, would, that helped a whole bunch. Mm. And still to this day, I mean, I, I think that my unique perspective on storytelling uh, and filmmaking is something that I'll carry out th throughout, you know, whatever process comes next. Um, I certainly have a pretty, pretty good story base. I mean, if somebody ever wanted to do a crime story, yeah. I have a bunch of them. I got a lot of stories. Oh, I was thinking as you've been oh. talking, all I can think about is the show, the wire, because I know that the creator of that show, I think, I think he was an investigative journalist in Baltimore for, yeah. for years and years and years and years. Yeah, he had intimate knowledge. And he, of he saw yeah. all the corruption. He saw every how it worked from the political level down to the gang level oh, yeah. and how it all yeah. connected. And so he's like, I got to make, I got to tell people this, how it works. So I think, you know, having a good basis for for any story, having some, some knowledge, some true knowledge of a subject helps you tell a, a better story. Mm. Um, I mean, I get a kick out of sometimes I, I watch a movie and, and they do things wrong and it's silly and it, it makes me giggle, but... I know that some, that's the way people perceive it. Mm. If I, if I say the word doctor to somebody, um, believe it or not, nine out of 10 people immediately think man. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are as many women doctors as there are men, but it, it's based on your perception. Uh, and you're going to think maybe a white lab coat, even though a great deal of doctors don't even wear that anymore. This is the way our brains are trained. You know, you, you, sure. you, you go to the familiar, um, so, you know, that's kind of where most of what we've been doing is, is leading. It's like, do we end up making films that cater to what we expect people to do? Or do we, do we change something up a little bit? I'm more into the reality based. I'd rather show it the way I've experienced it than to give it the Hollywood treatment and make it feel, oh, that's definitely a crime scene guy. How do yeah. I know? He's wearing a crime scene jacket. It says <laughs> it, crime scene. There's the yellow it. tape and then the... Yeah, you know, like, yeah. so, so there's, there's a lot of things that, that Hollywood takes its one. liberties uh, with that are just not real, mm -hmm. at least n not from my perspective. Um, I've been fortunate that I've, I've been, I've worked on a lot of cases with a lot of really intelligent people. Um, I've worked with, the guys that I work with in my office are by far, and I'm not saying this because I work there, probably the most dedicated men and women I have ever known in my life. These, these guys, you know, we often have to give up time with our families to, to investigate murders of people we've never met, strangers. And no matter how good we do our job, we're criticized for it. And yet we come in and we do it consistently all the way through, regardless of who the victim was. When I look at storytelling from that perspective, I know how much guys are truly affected by what we see. And someday I'm going to be able to apply some of that real world knowledge to a film, to, to the, an insight, insight into a character 
to give a person a more, much more realistic, you know, rather than the, the lethal weapon, angry <laughs> cop who throws everything on the floor and he's crazy. That doesn't exist. You, that's literally impossible. Um, you know, the bad boys who go out and they get in a shootout every time they go out in their Ferrari. Like, what? <laughs> it's cool in Hollywood. It's just not real. Um, and so that's usually my approach to almost every story I get involved in is to take a realistic approach based on my own experience. And usually I get calls about, hey, do you think this sounds right? You know, take a look at the script. Does it feel right to you? If it doesn't, I'll try to help, you know, improve it a little bit. I'll give them my perspective. But I always say, hey, depends on what your story is and what the goal is. But I can give you my perspective. And I think I think I have that. I think I've kind of, after 33 years, developed a, a unique way of looking at filmmaking, especially when it comes to things that deal with law and order. Yeah. As it relates to law and order in, in film, and, you know, we, we were talking about some of the challenges and, and heartache that goes along with that. But even though that's the case, you find yourself drawn to those kinds of stories because it's what you've experienced? I actually have. So I'm, I'm drawn to stories, I guess... It's not just the law enforcement, right? But there there's always seems to be some type of, some part or element of that in almost every story I run into. Um, you know, the police show up or, you know, somebody fires a gun or some crime happens. It, it's usually in like most of the films, it's, yeah, it's in it, almost you know, everything. I think yeah. it's part of the fabric of our, of our storytelling yeah. process. And so I don't always approach a, a project and think I want to do a cop story. <laughs> not at all but if i if i can offer uh, an insight into the reality of how it works i usually do that but for me it, storytelling is about being diverse and being able to come up with all kinds of things and not simply tell a story about i mean do you remember we once talked about that post-apocalyptic concept oh yeah oh, i can't wait to shoot that yeah me too <laughs> and there will be no law enforcement in that we were just talking uh, about you know? it when we walked in this morning so it I'm always looking for things like that. Yeah. Even, even that would be the absence of law and order. Yeah. And it's so, actually a, a huge character. In the, in so, this, so, yeah. you know, it is, there is, there is always that element and it's only because I, I believe that our society has been built on, on the back of the concept of do unto others. Right. So if you, if you look at the 10 commandments, it's really like, it's like a blueprint, like, don't kill each other. Don't steal. <laughs> yeah. Don't do these things. Yeah. And if you look at law, law is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Thou, you know, thou shalt not murder. So what's the first crime in Master 265? One, murder. It's the first one. Don't do that. <laughs> it's a big no-no. Yeah. And so, it, and you go through, you know, theft, larceny, and all these, those other things. It's all based on a Christian Judeo value that I grew up, uh, it, you know, experiencing. Um, so it felt natural to me to, to want to do the right thing, to protect people from those that would do them harm. It just was a very natural, I don't know, natural process for me. And to become a policeman didn't feel foreign. Uh, my dad, my stepdad, um, my cousin's two sons, um, I've got a bunch of law enforcement officers in my family. And, uh, so, you know, and a lot of military guys and, so it, it, it wasn't a, wasn't an unusual thing for me to do, uh, and I've, I've quite honestly I've loved it, but it's time for me to do something else. Yeah. You, but, you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that you ha like conveying some sort of hope in your art or your stories is like 
comes natural to you? Is that kind of tied in with the way you were raised or is that uh, a direct result of seeing and experiencing a lot of this so I, horrific I, stuff? I think it's a combination of both things. Uh, for example, the, a yeah, lot like, of the yeah. stories that I've put out, a lot of the projects that I've worked on, music videos, um, they all have a, a, I would say, positive feel, even though we've highlighted some of the terrible things that happen. There's yeah. always a message <laughs> at the end um, of hope, mm. um, a, a good outcome in some way or another. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't candy coat things. If, if one of the project involves gunfire or shooting or death, then it's in there. Uh, but I try to find a way of telling a story that leaves somebody with an understanding of why. Um, but not always, you know, so yeah. I try, I try to, I really try to, to focus on giving a uh, good message and, and it, it is something that that's part of who I am. I don't, I guess I, the only way I can explain it is I know my mother planted that seed in me, you know, yeah. uh, you know, watch your tongue, be careful what you say, be careful what you do, be careful of how you treat people, treat people fairly, be honest. Um, you know, those things are things that I heard my whole life. Yeah. And so it, it's a message that, that is part of who I am and it's reflected in my work. Um, is it, I have yeah. occasionally been on the creative side where I've shown things and I've worked on projects that, that didn't necessarily have a happy ending. Um, I'm working on one right now that happens to be pretty twisted, but it's, it's, it's an idea that was born from the work that I've done for 33 years. And I wanted to show, I wanted to explore that other side and I wanted to, to really sort of write in some of the things that I've learned in my career as a police officer. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I was getting. And I guess I was interested in that because you were saying <laughs> in one hand, having like conveying the sense of hope is really comes natural, but then I want to make stories that are very realistic and not candy coat and, and make them true to life. And it's like all the things that you've experienced that you can't even really get into and what, even just what I'm imagining, I'm like, how do you have both? <laughs> like, yeah. how do you tell a story that's like realistic in these like horrors of life and then still have hope? And it's almost like, uh, I guess, yeah, it's like, it seems like such a personal individual thing. Like sometimes I watch movies and they're able to pull it off some, somehow, right? Yeah. Just have both where you're yeah. like, wow, I, I feel like there was a sense of hope, but it's not like overboard and it feels like spoon feeding you or being like, this is how you should feel, right? Sure. It is, or, sure. But it's sometimes really subtle. Um, that's such something I'm always interested in because I tend to, I think I'm more addicted almost to this uh, ambiguous, uh, you have to think about it and stew on it type of ending in a story. Right, where it lets you, it lets, allows you to make up your own mind. Yeah, where what's good if something's what, blatantly no. hopeful, I go, eh. Yeah, it's, when like, it's a little too corny and it ends, it ends in the happy tone. Yeah. Know, the, like chimes and everything. Right. Everybody's like, oh, thanks. But I'm, yeah. but I'm, I'm like, well, that <laughs> might just be something wrong with me. No, <laughs> I'm curious. No, there's definitely I'm curious how lot. you. No, um, you're, you're obviously you're sophisticated <laughs> and you don't want to be spoon fed. That, that's well, what that is. Well, I, and I understand yeah. that. Um, I've had I've had a couple of uh, ideas that I that I wanted to uh, to really make into a film, um, but I had to be very careful in how I crafted it, uh, only because it's based on you know real events, and so everybody's name had to be changed and you know locations and things like that, so that I wouldn't violate any of the trust that's been placed in me with specific cases. I mean, 
These are real sure. folks. These are real people, real victims. And so mm. I, all I do is I, I, I use my memories rather than anything. You know, it's no official reports that I take copies of or anything like that. It's just from my own experience. Yeah. Um, and I'll formulate an idea and I'll, and I'll, you know, write it out as best I can. And in this particular case, I'm, I'm working on a film right now that happened to be the concept is maybe 10 years old. It sat around that long. I just wasn't ready. Yeah. It was, it wasn't time for me to, 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 to draw it out. And it wasn't until recently uh, that I reached out. Um, you guys know the guys from fat foot films. Ed, yeah, Ed, just Ed, recently met yeah, them. Yeah. Ed Gutierrez and, um, and Ryan Convery, um, they do a lot of funny stuff and I, I watched a couple of their, their shorts and they made me giggle. One of them features a good friend of mine, Mike Zicola, and it was about a ghost in a bathtub. And it was just, what a silly concept I thought. <laughs> it's such a strange title. And then I watched it and of course I laughed. And so I said, these, these guys, they, they're doing some fun stuff here. And uh, I reached out and I spoke to Ed for a while and, and um, I said, hey, we should make something together. You know, this is, COVID has kept everybody caged for a year right and so of course he was like dude i've been trying to get you know hold of you and let's make something so it was really exciting and we met um in shrewsbury we, we sat down to have something to eat and within the first two minutes i knew i could work with these guys they were fun they were enthusiastic they were excited about it and i said this could work this could really mm. work so uh ed said to me you got a script and i went no, <laughs> give me 24 hours. <laughs> I said, let me scratch something out and I'll get back to you. So uh, that's exactly what I did. I went home and I, and I grabbed all my notes and, you know, in bulleted form. And I said, so this is sort of the concept. This is what I want to do, but I'd have to write it out. And he mentioned a good friend of his, um, Dennis Nato, who's a writer and he's a, he's a school teacher from New Hampshire. So I sent him my idea it was a one page, you know, very poorly written concept and i said uh you know I, I need to formulate this into a script somehow and so dennis took it and mangled it and deleted like 90 percent of the garbage i wrote and put it back together and so we went back and forth for a few revisions and i added lines and he changed things and we talked about motivations and plot and all that good stuff uh, and so by the time it came back to me um in a script format I was so pleased what I was reading. I was like this, I can started visualizing it already. I was like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be fantastic. Um, we went through a few more revisions and dialogue after we read through it and we did our auditions, but we finally have a shooting script and, uh, I'm so excited to get started on that. We're, our first day of principal pr photography is uh, July 24th. Wow. And it's the main scene for the, literally the backbone for the movie. Uh, we needed an apartment. And I couldn't find the one that fit what was in my mind's eye. So we built it. And, wow. uh, we, we, we actually built the set and uh, we're going to pre-light pretty soon. But uh, I would say it's probably 85% done. All the, you know, the walls are up, the windows, the kitchen, the bathroom, everything is in. Um, initially, I thought New York City apartment. But then I realized New York City, that's so yesterday. It's a Worcester apartment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where filmmaking is happening. And so it, it'll, ha <laughs> it'll feature iconic uh worcester landmarks nice the, the backdrop is it, it's a worcester story where'd you build the apartment so we have um i'm working with dan diaz over at westerman's prop house um, dan and i started central mass film studios and uh currently we have a 22,000 square foot facility that's open to us um, wow. 
and I can't share specifically where right now because we're still working on some details with the owner of the building. But uh, it the space has allowed us to take our time building the set. To well, there's plenty of space for us to to make this thing in. The ceilings are very high, so we're gonna you know high mount all of our lights. It's a 360 set. So once we put a camera in there, there won't be any need to move crew or anything else. It's nice. going to be cameraman. And even the first assistant camera will be outside the set monitoring outside. And it'll be actors and a cameraman, which, which will give us some really dynamic uh, movements in camera or some flexibility to do that. And of course, I like everything over the top. So that, that's how I'll do it. Are you directing? Yes. Yeah. Not, not DPing? I'm both, believe both. it or not. Yeah. So, but... As a director of photography, for me, that the the process is more about the visual storytelling. I, I this this film is designed to show more than tell. Um, I really want to do some really cool shots with the city, and you know, mm. highlight certain areas that I think are important for the story, and they fit really well. Um, and you know, I think I'm going to stop apologizing for the fact that it's Worcester and start to really promote it. As before it was like, well, we'll make this look like New York or it's more Boston or let's do, no, I, I really want to show that it's actually Worcester and yeah. our set will, it, it'll scream, you know, three decker. It's got, it's going to feel like one of Worcester's typical apartments. Nice. Um, and I, I'm excited about that because mm. I, I think it's cool. It's yeah. Worcester has so many really awesome things in it, um, that we should highlight it. Yeah. That's what I plan to do with this project. That was kind of a, oh. Fun fact that surprised me about Honest Thief: Andrea told us that they they built the uh, FBI office and the hotel in a building here in Worcester. Mm -hmm. I thought that was super cool. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, so I remember the first time seeing something transform for a film, something I was familiar with. Uh, they shot the movie Surrogates here. Um, oh, yeah. Bruce Willis was in that, and uh, that came that. after American Hustle. You know, was one of those those movies that followed up. But they shot, the FBI office was the old courthouse. And courtroom 14 on I the top floor that. is, a, I've testified in that space. I've seen it a million times. When I walked in there, I was like, whoa, it was so cool. They, so behind the, the judge's uh, desk, up in the back was like a Commonwealth of Massachusetts symbol. And there was a clock in one corner. And then you had the, you know, the, the jury sat on one side and the public, and then there was a part where the prosecutor and the defense attorney sat. And walking in there and seeing an FBI, a gigantic, like a 12-foot FBI symbol on it, <coughs> excuse me, and seeing all of the chairs gone and seeing working desks and filing cabinets, and of course the film camera stuff. I mean, I was like, oh. Bruce Willis was like 20 feet from me, and I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, look at the lens on that camera. <laughs> That's me, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a gear nut. Yeah. Um, was such an exciting experience. Um, and it, it really just goes to show that that's the magic of filmmaking. It's like, if you can convince someone that what they're looking at is real and it exists, and I mean, that's part of the, the process, but seeing something that I was familiar with change and then to see it in the movie was like so cool. The, the FBI, uh, special agent in charge, his office was a judge's office and I'd been in there a few times and looking out the window and seeing the, the memorial auditorium <laughs> like okay this is cool you know even though it was distracting when i first saw the movie going back and watching it again going i like the way they did this this mm. is really neat mm. and it's happening more and more all over the place here yeah 
I love that. Yeah. I, I want to be a part of it. If anybody's going to watch this, if you guys out there, <laughs> I'm available. Let me know. I can make a good coffee whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> you can do a lot more than that. Uh, you were talking about drawing earlier, and some of the, I didn't actually know that you could sketch as well as you do until we worked on that short film, Joseph, and you did all the previs on that and delivered storyboards. And I was just like, what? Yeah. It's beautiful. Thanks. I'm, I'm saying it so the editors will put it in and show it right here in the yeah. podcast. But we'll show and some of your work. It's awesome. Editors should get some of your your um, like VFX stuff that you've done because I see you sure. I see you post some of that. Um, yeah, a lot of like sci-fi space stuff that you've done is really cool. It seems I like love an, sci-fi. Just an extension of your drawing. I would seems, say, seems I would like say that that yeah. So I mean, when it comes to computers and animation and illustration, filmmaking, music. I mean, you know, any kind of performing art or expressive art is something yeah. that, that I've explored. It's just part of who I am. Um, and right now, I mean, my sole focus has, I would say the last few years have really been filmmaking, understanding the technology, even theory. Um, I've met some pretty incredibly talented folks over the years, um, some world famous people. Um, some people who are making big budget projects, but nothing, nothing has been more impressive than watching a guy who owns nothing and has no money make something that I like watching. Yeah. And so that's why whenever somebody comes to me and says, Hey, uh, you know, can I rent your lights? And I want to know who they are and where they come from and what they do. And if it's somebody who's struggling is coming up, I just give it to them. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't charge them because you know, if, if I feel like I'm contributing back to something that I love so much and watching someone else grow makes me feel good. I, yeah. I like to watch someone else make something that's fantastic. And of course I get inspired by that enthusiasm and by the, the raw talent. Most of us have usually been, you know, in those, we've been in those situations where you have an idea, you want to create something, but, but you don't have the means. Maybe you don't have the equipment, you don't have the money, you don't have the the access or whatever it is. It doesn't mean you couldn't because I think if we lined up access and budget for a lot of local folks, we could make some pretty amazing things. Yeah. Um, I, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of talented people, but I just, I, I sort of, I gravitate towards the indie filmmaker, the guy struggling to get it, to get it done because someday the door will open up and when they walk in, they'll, they'll be able to appreciate all the small things, all the nu nuances of, of what it takes to really be the, at the bottom of that pyramid grinding to try to get somewhere. Yeah. Um, I love that part of it. When you focus on uh, making your stories, um, you know, I'm, I know, I know this about you, you, you focus on what is going to go on, on the screen. Mm -hmm. And you've done a really good job stretching money over time. I'm the master. You are the I take, master. I take a dollar and I turn it into a hundred dollars in production value. Absolutely. You know, I was surprised to hear that you, when you said that you were building a set because you've had such good access to everything around, but you must've had something specific in your mind. I did. I had, well, I had something specific and there's a part of the script that calls for the set to be built as well. There's just, there's a, a couple of things that, that I won't share right now. Yeah, it's fine. That are, that are part of the story that would make it very difficult to accomplish if we actually use someone's house. Mm. So it wouldn't, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. So right from the start, I said, okay, I've got to build this set and, uh, I've now got to figure out what it's going to cost to make it. 
the cost of lumber right now is just outrageous, mm. but we managed to build a 24 by 24 um, apartment with a hallway. It's completely furnished. It has a kitchen and a bathroom and the bedroom and living room and all the nice things that come with it. Um, we have, you know, flooring and carpeting. And if you walk in there, especially from the perspective of a camera, you will not be able to tell that it's a set. Wow. Other than the obvious lighting, you know, because I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Every film set is lit beautifully. And I mean, I wish my house looked like that when I walked in three point lighting everywhere, you know, like, oh, look yeah. at the fill on his face. It looks is great. Is it com <laughs> complete, completely roofless? So you have completely yeah. roofless. So the walls are nine feet tall. Um, the ceilings in there are about 14 feet high. Uh, so we we've mounted, you know, um, all of our gear up top and uh, the lighting, the lighting is all top down. So it'll, it'll be pretty, pretty nice. I'm always impressed when like when you find out. Uh, certain films or you know or locations are built when they look like totally practical yeah, that's always real. that's always yeah. impressive i i was watching the behind the scenes this morning actually of uh, fight club mm -hmm. i watched that last night and i just realized i hadn't seen it in years and that the it seems obvious i guess but i never realized that they built that uh paper street house yeah and it was, everything about it was all custom made and made to look old and raggedy and it was funny because we're talking about Worcester apartments and everything. It just looks like a Worcester three decker. Yep. In, it does like an old, an old in house LA. in Maine South somewhere. And, and yeah. you know, like, like a, a long forgotten. And I, th yeah, know. I think that's why in my, in my head, I was just like, Oh, well that was just an old house. I was sitting there and they yeah. shot there. It's like, no, they built it very specifically. Yeah. It's just funny. Cause it's yeah. Like, so I, I come I, to Worcester. You're going to pick one up. <laughs> I had a very similar idea. So, I mean, I, so I would say that, um, the look of Fight Club is something that I've always liked. It's gritty. It's dark. Oh, yeah. It's green and yellow. Contrasty, you know, like that. Yeah. I've always loved that look. Yeah. Um, and I would say that that my film will have some of that in it, mm. um, only because it, it inspired me to, to to sort of create that gritty environment. Mm. And uh, this this particular film is called Mercy, and um, it it happens to have that same feel. Um, mm. So the protagonist in my film is someone who struggles through the day, her daily life. It's pretty mundane. Um, there's nothing remarkable about her at all, but she, she faces some challenges and, uh, and in, and in the process of facing those challenges, she sort of reveals who she truly is. And so the, the, the film is dark. Um, I wouldn't say that in this particular storyline, there's a, there's a positive ending or a happy ending or something hopeful. Um, but, Overall, what I'm hoping to do with this project is to create a series. And this, this would be the very first, this is the introduction of the character and, and the troubles that she faces. Uh, and if, if I'm lucky enough to make a second or a third episode, you would then get the backstory and you would see that there is a redeemable quality. But initially when you're introduced to her, you're introduced to the chaos of the world that she lives in. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, very. I wanna know more. Yeah, when, what's your timeline on it, do you think? So, well, I would say that sometime before the end of September, we'll be finished shooting. Um, and shortly thereafter, first draft. And, uh, and I, would, I would be happy to let you guys preview it before anybody sees it. Mm, I'd of love course, that. Viewing party. Get your feedback. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty open. I'm, I'm, I'm the type of filmmaker that I, I trust other filmmakers' opinions, even though, you know, everybody has one, right? We all would have done things differently, but I take the perspective of here, let me show you what I have. 
if there's anything specifically that you think is really out of place or just seems odd to you, yeah. I don't mind you telling me what it is as long as you can explain it. An example, I, I had one time, I did some VFX work for a friend of mine on a film and he asked his friend about it and his friend's reaction was, I hate it, it's terrible, that's awful, it doesn't look real. Good. Thanks for your so, help. <laughs> well, there was nothing constructive in it and so then I asked my buddy, do you mind if I call him and just I just wanna know why he said that. So I called him up and it turns out he knew nothing about VFX. Yeah. Um, and it was actually, it was funny because it was gunfire, some, some, some gun scene that they did. He'd never fired a gun in his life. He, had, he has no idea what they actually look like or work like. Yet he had this opinion mm. that yeah. what I did was didn't look right. So rather than sort of chastising him and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, hey, I have an idea. You want to come to the range with me next week so you can see that what it really looks like? And he goes, you do that? I'm like, sure, come on out. I said, you'll love it. It's pretty cool. I said, just, I'll make you wear you know, ear protection, but I want you to feel what it's like to actually fire a gun. Yeah. It changed his mind completely. He came out, we went out, we went through maybe 150 rounds or so. I let him fire a bunch of them. And that was the end of the whole, that doesn't look real. I thought you were going to say you shot him. Well, I, I wanted to. <laughs> Rather than that, chastise that him. That was, uh, you know, he showed up, now shot this. him. Uh, you know. No, it, it was one of those moments I, I took. I took an opportunity to teach rather than, than to make fun of him. He, yeah. just, he, he truly wanted to help, but he just didn't know what he was talking about. I think that's key, especially in this whole filmmaking. I mean, it's, it's key everywhere, right, in all of life. But I specifically notice that in filmmaking there's just so much ego yeah. yeah in the normal sort of system and even a lot of the indie stuff it's it's i don't know why it's so much there where it's uh, you know it's like you there are a lot of moving parts and so there's that that's challenging sure. and then you have a vision and you think you see what you know you but i i you know you you speak to some directors or writers or whatever or even even producers who um it's almost like I don't understand how they had people, how they recruited other than just paying people. Yeah. Because it would be really hard to work on their sets, you yeah. know? Well, you just and, answered it. Yeah, paying right? people. Right? <laughs> I mean, and, that's, and, and, and people are just so drawn to the industry that they'll do it and they'll just eat crap. Yeah. You know, for a little <laughs> while. I, so I can tell you, I've turned, I've turned jobs down, even though they're, they pay, they pay well. I've, I can think of two nationally maybe internationally recognized music stars that i've said no to and it's only because our messages don't align mm. um I, you know i don't like the way you treat people i don't like the things you say i don't like what your music talks about so the answer is no for me and i had one particular artist very very well known this guy's been in the industry a long time uh, he was so upset because i said i didn't want to work on his video that he, he said you know i'll throw so much money on the table you won't know what to do with it and it, it sort of gave me this it was a it was a sort of a light bulb moment where i was like this guy has no idea who i am and so i said to him with all due respect you don't have enough money for me to compromise my integrity you just don't have enough <laughs> i know the guy's a millionaire he's a multi-millionaire but i would never sell out in order to collect cash because i don't gain anything from it it's money great there's Me other ways to he's make he's trying it. to become a billionaire because he thinks that you just need one billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if, you don't have enough. Well, I'm a millionaire. What's the next step? That, that, that side of that creative arrogance, you know, where, where it's either money or they believe that they're always correct. 
It's not something I don't, I just don't feel comfortable with. I like working with people who are open-minded and I, and I don't mind opinions. I'll ask people, what do you think? I'm, I'm an, I'm an open-minded guy when it comes to creativity and whatever helps to make the project better. I'm open to, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll say, wow, that's a great idea. That's so much better than what I thought. Mm. Uh, and I work with a lot of folks that don't feel they're not afraid to offer that opinion because they know that I'm not going to instantly reject them or I'm not going to go, you know, put on my director's hat and throw the scarf over my shoulder and say, that's ridiculous. You know, no, I'm, I'm open. You, you have yeah, a, the best an idea? teams can synergize. You want to yeah. get, you want to get stuff from your team. Absolutely. And, and it, it, as a matter of fact, it happened this morning. I thought my script was written and we was done. And then I got one of those calls from Ryan. Hey, I've got this great idea. I was thinking about the edit and I couldn't write it down fast enough. So I immediately went into uh, the script and I added those lines and I added a couple of changes in the visual effects. And I sent the script right back to him. I was like, hey, it's in there now. This is a great idea. You know, I, I could have I just said, well, I came up with that. But I didn't. It mm -hmm. wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it really furthers the story. And it actually makes it easier for us to deliver a message without anything complicated. So that's why I thought it was brilliant. Just the moment popped into his head and I wrote it down. I said, that was, that's perfect. Um, some people, like you said, don't have that ability. They, they immediately shut themselves off. The wall goes up. If you criticize anything that they do, it's counterproductive. If you're one of the big ones and you know, one of the greats and you know, some 24 year old kid comes up and goes, Hey, I just got out of school. You know what you should do? I can see a Spielberg going, thanks kid. That's great. Appreciate it. And then ignoring him. But I'm not a Spielberg. <laughs> I'm just Dan Rosario and I, I like helping people. And I like when they help me and I'm always open to ideas and who knows, maybe someday, God willing, I'll make a feature film and I'll be able to pull in all the people that I've worked with all along. I'm so many talented people in this city. Uh, and that's my goal is to yeah. eventually get to that point where we can make a film and, and we don't have to worry about Hollywood's tax credit where they have to hire a certain number of people from Massachusetts. I'd love to be able to say, hey, it was, it was conceived here, written here, produced here by people that live here and know this area. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to do that someday. I, I yeah. quite honestly believe it's coming. Yeah, us too. I have a bunch sure. of locations. Uh, my, my roommate, who's also a, a aspiring writer and filmmaker, we were talking about this recently. Now there's certain locations in Worcester that we've like made note of or taking pictures of. And we're like, yeah, I've scenes that are like written that are like, that's, that's the location. Cause it's sort of this cool little hidden gem yeah. that is uniquely Worcester. You know, it has a lot of spots like that. I have, I have a spot that I shot a film in two years ago. It, it went through the, the film festival circuit, never got released publicly. I, I was the DP on the job and the writer director just didn't want to release it publicly. I, I don't know why, but there was a scene, it was a post-apocalyptic film uh, and it was the extreme. So you had the, the poor folks and those that had, and the ones that had, had everything. Um, the, there was a head of a company that made food that had a very, you know, like a big office on the top of a building. And I thought, okay, how do I get a vast space that looks ridiculous like who would have an office that big it looks you know like that would everybody would go oh my god that's so opulent um i tried to imagine a place in the city and i couldn't think of anything and i remember sitting in my office looking out the window and i just looked straight ahead and i went oh the memorial auditorium 
don't know if you guys have ever seen the front part of the Memorial Auditorium. Never. It's unbelievable. So, you know, even when they were doing graduations there, um, hardly anybody had access to it. But if you go up, if you look at the Memorial Auditorium, you see those four gigantic windows in the front. There's a there's an entire marble um, foyer. It's it's probably as wide as the building, and it's got to be at least sixty feet up. It's unbelievable. And so, of course, I made a few calls, and I found out I'm the first film company to ever actually be allowed to film in there. And we went in for an afternoon, and we shot this this scene with the you know, this man who now ruled the world in this gigantic office. And we went out of our way to give him a gold tie, like a solid, there are people starving outside and he's got this shiny suit and a really gold, cool gold tie. And, um, using some visual effects, we added some gold statues in the space, but you'd never guess that was made here. Never that, that one visual effect shot. Everybody asked me about it. Anybody who saw the film was like, where'd you make that? Where is that? What, you know, and it's, it is, it's a little hidden gem and it's right there mm. yeah. and someone else is going to make something and it'll go out before mine does. But, um, <laughs> it's a pretty good. And so anybody who's watching, stay out of my space. <laughs> Dan was here first. Yeah. Me first. I will show and I will show a date. I got proof. <laughs> That's funny. So, and I've actually shot at the old courthouse as well. I mean, when it was, uh, shut down and abandoned the front part that is now an apartment building, uh, I use that hallway and. So I've had, I've had a lot of access to a lot of places here. Um, yeah. Like you said, there are a lot of hidden gems, a yeah, lot of places to explore, or real, some really cool spots. Yeah. So That's how you stretch a buck, too. Yep. Talking about that earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about the power of storytelling and how it's something that's in us. It's just sort of just there from birth, like yeah. the, our need for story as humans. Um, so this is kind of ph philosophical or just you know, looking inward and trying to f always figuring out with our guests and friends um, a little bit more about why that is. And I, I often like to say that it's, you know, it's kind of like breathing. You know, we, 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 we're always thinking in story, whether it's our memories or our dreams or, you know, what happened yesterday, what it doesn't or what we plan to do tomorrow. It's always there, but it's kind of like breathing in that we, we are always doing that, but we don't think about it. Yeah. Um, what, what do you believe we can do intentionally using story other than the, the, the big things like, Hey, make movies or make shows or whatever. What, what, when you think about the power of story, what comes to your mind? I've always seen, uh, storytelling as the most effective vehicle for delivering a message, whatever that message may be to the filmmaker. Um, there's something that cat captivates an audience when they identify with a character or a moment or situation, or even an environment. Um, I love nature. I love being out in, in the mountains and, and uh, I love, you know, being out in the woods. And so whenever I see a scene like that, it literally draws me in, pulls me in. I'm like, Oh, I, I wish I could be there. One of these days, I know you've been there a lot. I'd love to vi visit Montana. Right. So I remember the first time I saw the wilderness and the mountains and I thought, okay, places to go. Mm -hmm. Right. So something as simple as seeing a mountain view motivated me to want to be there. And storytelling is very similar, whether it be a message or whatever it is. I, I grew up in a household where my mom, my dad were always telling me stories that happened to be biblical stories. 
and those particular stories, my imagination, I would, I would picture, you know, the environments and the people. Uh, and there was always a message, you know, in there, even though as a kid, I may not have understood all of it. Um, but they didn't have a problem explaining those stories. As I grew older, I could hear the story and I could discern my own message from it. And it's so if it's just, I know, I guess it's built in. It's like when I, when I tell a story, I'm sending a message. And you know, if my audience captures the message that I'm trying to send, then I feel like I've, I've accomplished what I set out to do. Sometimes the message isn't always clear or sometimes the message as we talked earlier, isn't always a positive one, but the way to know for sure, if you're effective is to ask the audience afterwards or ask the viewer, what did you get from it? And I do that a lot. And sometimes people think it's a, it's a little weird. I may ask things that, you know, didn't see, Hey, if he wasn't in that scene or what do you think happened after he left? And they'll go, well, but, but I didn't see him leave. I know. But if he did and he was outside, what do you think would have gone on? And I always look for that, the deeper meaning in the story. And so when I, when I approach storytelling, uh, it isn't just that moment. I want to know what they feel when it's over. What happens when the movie's done? What do you get from that story? Did, did it, was it a lasting impression? Did I do a good job? Was it confusing? Because I wonder if I failed as well, you know, how do I approach this the next time around to, to do a better job? Um, so there's, there's always that, that element. There's, there's a message being sent in, in whatever project I work on. And it's effectiveness for me is not only whether or not people say, Hey, that was pretty good. You know, I've had people say, Oh, I loved it. It was awesome. But I want to know what you really feel. You know, let's talk about it. Tell, call me later. And I want to know exactly what you thought about my character. Do you mean like the breakdown between or the dichotomy between it was entertaining and what they got from it yeah. as like a message. Yeah, yeah okay. so the entertainment is one thing, but you know, f for me, th there's always a, a m much deeper part of it. What motivated me to write this story? What motivated me to shoot this the way I did? And, and I'm always hoping that someone can see my motivation in creating something that way. And it isn't always a face value. Sometimes you have to talk about it a little more, but you know, hopefully they're entertaining. That's yeah. kind of the point. It seems like our favorite work, if we look back, um, it seems to be when it's entertaining and has a very important message. Yep. It seems like if you have one without the other, it's always a problem. Yeah. 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 So you can get, you can get a bunch of, like if you wanted to do a, a gun battle, you can have like a hundred guns shooting back and forth, but what's the point? Mm. Yeah. Who's the hero and what happens at the end, right? And if there is no point, then it's just a gun battle and it's boring. Or if the if they get the balance <laughs> off, because right. I watched a movie last night. Oh, so bad. Tom Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. It's on Amazon Original. I don't know. I've it. Seen, I haven't seen it. So I'm not gonna go the whole thing, but but I like Chris Pratt, and I was like, I'll watch it. It's a it's an alien slash time travel movie. Okay. And Two yeah. of my favorite subjects. Right. And I'm like, you can't go wrong. <laughs> so the, the, the concept is uh, 30 years from now, aliens invade um, and humanity is nearly wiped out. But clearly they've invented time travel. So they shoot back in time 30 years and ask present day to us humans, hey, we're dying. We need you to come back to the future with us and help us fight this war. Mm -hmm. Super cool kind of concept. But the problem with it was that the entire movie was just a big climate change agenda thing. And it was see, yeah. so oh, yeah. heavy handed. 
Yeah. That like the whole time I feel like I'm just getting hit over the head with the the climate change agenda. And I'm like, I want to just enjoy the movie. And that's the, that therein lies the key, right? If you actually want your message to be effective, you got to ha- let your audience get to it on their own. Right. Right. Because right. I thought I was just being spoon fed. Like, yeah, I get it. The ice is melting. Like, it's just like, I don't, you know. Right. Um, well, that's, yeah. And that's and, the true yeah. art. I think that right there is the true art. I mean, there's yeah. craft, yeah. of course, the craft of, you know, how does it look? How is it lit? How is it, how is the audio and all that? But the true art to me feels like leading people on a journey with some breadcrumbs, but don't shove the cheese in their face mm-hmm. at the sure. end, right? Yeah, it was like, that's so like the whole point of telling a story. If someone asks you a question and you want them to think for your, themselves, right. you're going to tell them a story and leave them with that. And they go, well, you didn't answer my question. Wait. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, you know who, yeah. or did you? Jesus was the master of it, right? Yeah, he never answered anything. <laughs> he, he just he just gave parables. He yeah, just told exactly. a story, and then they were left to go. Oh. Actually, that's um, a great editing trick and and a writing trick. I had a, a professional writer give me notes on my first script, and he's like, "You're answering all of your questions," and I was funny. like, "Well, what? What's wrong with that?" And then I got to the edit and started yeah. editing. And I'm like, "Oh, it's so true. Like yeah. the best in dialogue." So often when questions are asked, the scene will change. Yep. Yeah. And you also don't want to insult your audience as if they can't think for themselves or figure it out. But I think about your story that you just yeah. told about the the guy, the, the critic about the gunfire and the VFX of the gun. You you took the time to tell him a story. You you went and met up with him and you basically showed him this is how a gun works. Sure. And along that, there was probably a lot of other stories like, this is who I am. I'm a good guy. You like, you know, like there, that was all, you know, that was a real world interaction, but yeah. it, it was the equivalent of telling an effective story because what it did was it changed his perspective. It gave him context that gave him a new understanding. Yep. And that to me personally is, I think the highest form of what a story can do is it can, it can create empathy and and change a perspective change sure. the way someone thinks about something for the better or the or for the worst i think stories are are like technology or anything else where they're not inherently good or bad they're a tool that can be used for good or bad and so that to me is what i think of like if i if i want to do something with storytelling it's i want to i want to give people uh something that gives them a new understanding a deeper level of understanding and empathy um so that they can become better people that they can be more you know understanding and empathetic people well building on sure. that idea yeah. you p- people often when they hear the word antagonist they often think villain right but an antagonist in the story is not necessarily the villain or a villain it's just someone who's resisting the protagonist exactly they have a different agenda yeah. in that little story about the dude with the gun gunfire you know he was an antagonist yeah. mm-hmm some of the most powerful stories of all time is when this over the story the protagonist takes an antagonist and turns them into an ally sure and I, I think it's it's part of the storytelling process really the motivator so you have you have your protagonist who is suddenly challenged by the, this person in some way it motivates them to continue on the mission whether they're they're purposely an obstacle or the enemy if you will or they're just simply someone who doesn't believe in them. You see it in all the sports stories, right? And when everything that has, anything that has to do with the, the the team who's facing the challenges and they're sort of like misfits and and they sort of mishmash them together and, and next thing you know they're champions, right? There's always that other team, right? Mm-hmm. The the team that's 
really well put together and they have all the great gear and they show up in this really cool van and these guys are showing up in an old school bus that's falling apart. You have that, that challenge at some point. It's what makes us grow as people. Like you, you, when you face adversity, you, you have one of two choices. You either face it full on and you grow and you fight harder or you quit. Nobody wants to see a story about a quitter, right? Nobody goes like, oh, that movie was so cool. Remember what the first two minutes when he quit? That's a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody watches those and goes, that was great. It's, it's facing the adversity, the challenges, and, and the antagonist is so important in that storyline. It's so important for the motivation <laughs> to see your character grow. They cha they're challenged by the, the difficulty or the, or the bad person or the, you know, literally the villain or whatever it may be to, to, to step out of themselves and, and to grow. And I, I love stuff like that. You see it all the time. It's almost part of almost every, every story you, there is a meaning behind someone's effort to be better. And, and I, so I, I love that stuff. I mean, without it, you can you imagine doing a film about a guy who wins all day long, all the time, no. with no chance of anybody ever challenging him? Who's going to watch that? That's why Superman's the worst hero. <laughs> it's like, it's like oh, really? he always wins. You well, know, he that's always why they wins had to de constantly. develop uh, Kryptonite. Kryptonite. Yeah. 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 Just like conversely, or maybe not conversely, but a slightly different angle, what I've been wrestling with lately are these, it uh, seems to be very in vogue, are stories about the villain. And the villain... They're not trying to make the villain, or the, they're not trying to make the villain look good. It's just that the character that we follow as a hero or a protagonist in the story is the villain. Yeah. And you go through the entire emotional arc of the story, and find yourself wondering if your emotions really should have been manipulated, or or were they manipulated? We talked about this a little bit with Andrea because that movie I care a lot yeah. is like basically about two villains, or um, di this new Disney movie Cruella. Yes, or you, you're you're literally she's the villain, but you you're rooting for her. Right. It's like it's sort of like the the heist films, right? It's it, it's that same feeling. So you go, okay, so these group of this these five thieves are getting together to break into this bank to steal these diamonds, yeah. and you want You're them to do it. You're rooting for the crime. To yeah. Do it, yeah. You're like, oh, that's so cool. Look at how they avoided security. Stupid cops. Yeah, exactly. Just fooled like, them. Oh my god, I like those guys are so dumb. <laughs> it, it it is one of those things. It's it's a different type of storytelling, and this is what I mentioned earlier that that um, oftentimes when I when I look at the way I tell stories, I like to look take the opposite approach. And in this particular film that I'm working on now, Mercy, it's exactly that. The antagonist is the hero <clears throat> of my story, at least in the first episode. Oh, by the and, way, I wasn't picking on your story. No, no, that's okay. But I, I, I <laughs> yeah, did just take so that you didn't approach. think I was. No, 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 no. But I, yeah. I kind of feel like you were, you were setting that up. <laughs> no, I, I swear to God, I wasn't. I was <laughs> like, just thinking about this thing lately. You know, quick pass under the basket. <laughs> um, Here you go. Take it or don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had but, a whole episode about the concept of the anti-hero and like yeah. what if it's you know that that's where like stories are headed. Like if you're going to be able to have the classic good versus evil anymore. And yeah. I mean, it is more interesting to watch someone make horrible choices. It's just you're like, because you kind of wonder in the back of your head, if I was just the most impulsive, like just hateful version of myself that exists somewhere in there, what what would my life look like? Right. You know, and and that you get to play that out. You know, it, yeah, and seeing I think the the protagonist turn into the antagonist is so much more interesting than seeing the protagonist 
you know, hit rock bottom and then, and then, and then climb the ladder to victory. It's like, you know, in some stories, it's like, that's, that's fascinating. And then you get to actually see, okay, this facing that sort of darkness that might be like scary or, or, or so unfamiliar, uh, is, is like cathartic and, and helpful. Yeah. Um, I, where I, sometimes, sometimes I think, I think it's like, it's like uh, tragedy porn, you know, where right. some people are just like, you know, it's just, just drag you through the mud and then beat you up and then don't Google that at home. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not great either, but I mean, like I, where I've landed on is like, I don't mind the fantasy of, you know, like, you know, it's the same as like Grand Theft Auto, right? You're, you're playing this game. You're, it's, you're fantasizing about being the villain in these other films you're following the, the villain as if they're the hero or something. I don't mind that fantasy so that it will lure you in what i don't like is that it i I appreciate like breaking bad where it just took me further and further deeper and darker down the hole where i'm just like no there's nothing redemptive about that and that's the point right that was the point this was a man who lost himself to me is has great value yeah cautionary yeah it's a cautionary tale sure yeah to me that that's that's the that's the point of allowing that fantasy if it goes the other way the flip side here have this fantasy and the overall message in the end was that's okay that's that has value these things that this evil person are doing we rooted for them they did it that to me that's just like that should that should be in my opinion like low it should be looked at as low-hanging fruit like art that's just like basic to me, that doesn't should be illegal. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering. <laughs> I'm wondering what what a good example. Because uh, I mean, I I'm I'm we've all seen I think good and bad examples of what we're talking about. Sure. With in regards to like the the comp the morally ambiguous uh, main character, you know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Or even just more straight up evil main character. Like I think. Yeah, I think that was our qualms with I Care A Lot was right. that it, it wasn't really exploring. It didn't feel like a uh, an unbiased viewpoint of exploring the darkness. It felt like a very heavy-handed, weird, spoon-feeding, confusing tone of like heroic badassness, it just, even though it was not that. And it was that it was very confusing in that way. That's deep. So, mm-hmm. wow, that's a deep way. I, I can t- I can tell you when I watch a film, if it doesn't capture me in the first ten minutes, I don't finish it. Oh, that's someone a, has it's to a force good, me to. It's a good. I've thing never to seen do. that movie. By I've the way, put, I've pushed I've pushed myself through films just for the sake of like, well, I gotta I gotta stick this out. Way. I got I gotta finish it to see what 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 I'm left with. But yeah. in the first ten minutes, I knew I didn't want to finish it, and now I'm now I'm a little more picky. Where I'm like, hey, yeah. you better you better grab me in the first like 10, 20 minutes. Otherwise, yeah. it's like. You know what? Yeah. Otherwise, I'm I'm out. Next. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it. I think more movies now have that uh, that first scene that's really gonna like yeah, rip you. You know, draws you right in. I, I wanted to ask you, um, and this might lead into a whole thing, maybe off the podcast. Oh, too, is this the part when we talk about Tenet? No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Every podcast. No, I watched a movie yeah. actually uh, Sunday night that, uh, and we were supposed to have the podcast, or Monday night we were supposed to have the podcast on Tuesday. Um, and it was crazy because it was right before we were going to talk to you. And I got really excited because I wanted to ask you about it. If you've seen the movie um, Dragged Across Concrete. No. Because it's about, 
it's with Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn, and they play two cops who get, I mean, not, not really spoilers, but like they, they basically uh, get uh, kicked off the force for a time. Or uh, put a, I don't know what you would call it when you're basically, you're on a hiatus. <laughs> suspended. <laughs> suspended. Yeah. Uh, they did something silly, they get and, suspended. Yeah, and I would just be curious to know your thoughts yes, pop. on it. And uh, yes, pop. to me, it was a... It was a really, really interesting example of some of the things we're talking about where it's re- it feels very true to that world, but I don't really know if it is, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm watching it like, wow, this is really impressive. But like, it's, it's very obviously just like the, the writer's vision. Um, and it's very hard to pin down who you're supposed to, quote, root for. There's, there's sort of semi-crooked cops who you really love in some way. And I think a lot of people would probably hate right off the bat in the movie. And then there are, there's a criminal who just gets out of jail and immediately is setting up for his, his next thing. And he's sort of the protagonist in a way. And Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn's characters are sort of the protagonist. And and it's just really interesting sort of pulp fiction ish type of way of, of, of blending all these story, these uh, perspectives and these stories together at the end. Even there's even a little segment with, sort of an innocent bystander and it goes into her story mm-hmm. and it just it's basically just like a stab in the heart what's, sort of thing what's it called again dragged across concrete i'll have to pretty, watch it pretty brutal title yeah. but it, what, I, year, what year 2018 oh yeah not too long it ago. honestly is it's been the first time in a long time that i've been left like so sometimes i watch a movie and i'm like that was so amazing but then i never think about it anymore and that's i think part of why the closure the clean buttoned up ending bugs me sometimes is because I go, oh, yeah, cool, I get it, and then I never think about it again. This, I was like, that was, wow, okay, and, like, I didn't know what to think, and then the next day I was, like, telling everyone here about it. I was like, oh, my God, right? And it's like, it, like, blew my mind, and I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. Like, it's so, it's something about that movie. And you had questions about the whether or not parts of it were real, if it really happened that way? or if No, it, no, I just, I just felt like it's been a while since I've seen a movie that has the classic cop and criminal and we're following you know and we're following them both where it felt like not hollywoodized like at all Mm -hmm. it felt realistic the dialogue was was like high quality it was like almost a three-hour movie it took its time very like patient kind of like segments that i think some people might just think are boring i i was like so drawn into it lots of just beautiful kind of neo-noir like insane lighting uh, every frame is like a poster uh, they're just okay. gorgeous now i have to watch and this. uh mm-hmm. but it but it's just funny because it's like yeah it's just these i'll say interesting well i'm gonna watch it and, and then we'll talk about it i'm curious yeah, i'm just definitely. curious to know your thoughts I, it it kind of blew my mind but at the same time it was so like subtle and i can't put i don't really know what it was about it that i liked it so much now i want to see it see, um what happens a lot of times when i watch cop movies i, I get i get distracted by the silly stuff right um, I, almost every single movie I see, there's there's a gun battle of some type, and nobody ever writes reports. Like nobody ever gets in well, trouble. We don't have time. You know, it's like <laughs> like you never see them going, "Hey, I've got to let me just write this down real quick." Ninety nine percent of what I do is write. We write all day long. You have to document everything you do. Yeah. Um, collecting evidence, talking to people, you know, any gathering of any intelligence all of that stuff has to be written down in order for it to be effective and that's missing in every single movie yeah is um and it's always your typical like you ever you ever notice there's always the angry guy right like 
he's the guy who throws everything off. Oh, you know what? Rah! And he just he goes crazy, <laughs> knocks the computer over, or or the, the the you know the the guy who's missing a few screws, and everybody thinks he's crazy. <laughs> That's just not real. You can't be that guy. But in Hollywood, you can. You can take that. Yeah. You know, your undercover Mustang. Because we, I don't know if you guys. You see how many Mustangs we have next door? That's a lot. So many. They're just laying around. Like, like anybody have a Testarossa they want to give away today? They're always exploding. Right? I did see that Hummer down there, though. Yeah, well, those those were, that's our swap. Come on, Dan. I love Lethal Weapon. But, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, you got, you got these high-speed chases where things are blowing up and people yeah. are, cars are flying through the air and... That's a it's funny sketch. Is like the funny like for Hollywood. Hollywood Police Academy. It's like where they train like driving cars into buildings and like yep. they're. Like <laughs> it, I mean, that's so unrealistic, but it's what people have come to expect. Well, is there a show or, or a movie that does the does the law enforcement genre very very well? Like, what about The Wire? You watch The Wire? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Do you ever see? Do you ever see <laughs> just that? Nothing. No, you ever see I, just I can tell you so that does it right. The exaggerations in The Wire. I can I know where they come from, so they're probably born in some real world experience, and then they put about ninety pounds of Hollywood on it to make it really interesting, and then they write some other things and they link them all together to make it entertaining. Um, but you know, a lot of that show had a lot of conspiracy stuff in it, where like you know, like ten people were involved in this one thing. That's literally, you can't have 10 people involved in this one thing without somebody talking about it eventually. And all of those, you know, subplots and things that it's just so unrealistic. It's a great show. Don't get me wrong. It's fun to watch, but that's not real. Sounds like a, it sounds like a very realistic cop show would probably not be very marketable. It would be boring. Yeah, it would be boring. Um, you know, report. Uh, yeah, rated R. Exactly. <laughs> what about police and, and story? It, with it would Jackie be a guy King. writing. It'd be a guy writing like this, going like really fancy uh, music. Enter. I can like, take notes whoa. faster. Than have you ever have you ever seen Swordfish, where there's like the hacking oh, yeah. scene, and it's like yeah. this just like three D neon nonsense oh, floating yeah, in there? It's, it's so it's funny. It, Hugh, yeah, Hugh Jackman hacking. is just like it's just it's the most absurd. I, I was gonna frame. kick out of, out of yeah. movies like that. Where, <laughs> it's like mid two thousands. You ever awkward. noticed no one uses a mouse ever? And they're, they're like, <laughs> yeah, never. There's no time. Like, wait, wait, wait a minute, what? Where's your mouse? There's dude? nothing. You wanna, you there's nothing cool. There's That's nothing funny. Cool. Now I'm gonna yeah. look for that. Like, <laughs> because the clicking has more energy to it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you're quite the hacker, man. I'm impressed. There was a there was a movie tab, I saw. Tab 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 tab. <laughs> there was a movie I saw uh, years years ago now, but I thought it. I thought it, man. If there was a real, if. The, it's what stood out to me as being maybe realistic, and I'm curious if you've seen it. We Own the Night. No. Robert Duvall and Joaquin Phoenix. No. It's a father-son situation. Yeah. And was it a good movie? I thought it was. I remember, a, I remember I seeing it. I thought it was a great marketed. movie. I, I thought it was a great Joaquin movie. Was in that. I thought it was way underappreciated. Huh. Things to see. <laughs> Have you I seen Prisoners? Prisoners. Um is that the one with uh, uh, Clooney in it? Jake Gyllenhaal. No. And um, who's in it, Jamin? These are the mo these are always the most uh, exciting parts of our podcast. Yeah, right. Just you see the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's our movie with the one guy with the thing. With his, the thing. He was he was in that other movie with that lady. We don't actually like watch movies and, and like do our homework and then talk about it. No. We just pontificate. Yeah, once in a while, we just uh, we speculate. The rest, whole rest of the podcast is. Have you seen? Uh, <laughs> 
I think it is Hugh Jackman. Uh, another Hugh Jackman thing. Is anybody nope. with a cop in it? No. Nope. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal but have you and seen? Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's not necessarily like just focus on the police, but J- Jake Gyllenhaal's character is a cop, and it feels it feels very realistic, and especially the way they leave you in the in the, in the ending is like very like. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it, but I it, I'll I'll check it out. Yeah. See, I, I'm always looking for that one film that strikes me as okay, that's believable. Yeah. Um, but I haven't seen very many police films that, or characters that are police officers. The way Hollywood depicts it, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And and unfortunately, it you know the real world effect of Hollywood's approach to police is that people believe it. Oh yeah. Right. So you know. Uh, hey, uh, here's a video. Enhance that, and and the guy just he tacks away on that keyboard, boom, and it's enhanced. Next thing you know, you can see the whiskers on his mustache. Like it, yeah, you're like, what cameras are these? Right? Where the resolution is infinite. Well, it, so <laughs> it makes you wonder why the original image at a camera just isn't pre-enhanced. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Why, <laughs> what what process of enhancement yeah. do like, you have to go through? Hit the why is this? Why is this happening in in post in the in the on the Windows ninety five machine <laughs> exactly of the police station? So and Hans, as not only as a detective, but I, I also happen to be the department's forensic video analyst. I've gone to school for it, forensic video and presentation in court, and I, I get a kick out of it because you guys know this: garbage in, garbage out. Always, if your video is blurry or unstable. There are some things you can do to it, but the details that they come up with in Hollywood, you go, oh my goodness, you know, let's uh, let's reconstruct a bullet in 3D, like in Batman, and then get a fingerprint mm, off it. Like, yeah, but that's what? Bruce Wayne; he can do that. Uh, no, he can't. Yeah, he can. <laughs> but with enough you know? money in a basement, yeah, with a lot of lights, you can with do Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Pretty well, if Morgan Freeman, yeah, right, yeah okay. he could. He, he come could on, man, that. with those hidden bank accounts. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that, yeah. you know, um, the enhanced button, it's ridiculous, yeah. but, um, you know, from a, from a, because one, one of my responsibilities right now, uh, in the department for just a couple more months, um, I also do, um, mobile forensics, mobile, digital and mobile forensics. And, you know, I'm always looking for that one scene where I, I, I can believe that the tech they're talking about is legit. No, nope. just the Hollywood version of it is so exaggerated and the real world effects of Hollywood is that when people watch this stuff, they believe that that's real. And then when you try to try a real case in court, they want to know why you couldn't get a DNA sample off a fly that went by in the room. <laughs> you know, they, it's, it's really an unrealistic expectation. And the basis of knowledge is usually a bunch of Hollywood movies that were written by a guy who's never done the job and doesn't know anything about it, but is pretty creative. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's the biggest challenge. Not that I wouldn't get involved in making a ridiculously, to, you know, Hollywood police movie. I would, if I, if I had to, but there's, there's a part of me that always wants to show the more realistic side of it. Uh, you know, keep it based on reality and, and not so much the fantasy of, which is weird. Hollywood glorifies the police. And at the same time, they criticize. It's like right. it's like they got this love hate yeah. relationship. <laughs> yeah, they, they're making tons and tons of shows about police and law and order and all those other things. And then on the <clears> political <throat> side of it, they're always bashing the police. So it's, it's a strange. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood also strange like, relationship glorifies like 
thieves. Yeah. <laughs> Stealing exactly. stuff is like the greatest <laughs> in a movie. And going back to the, the conversation <laughs> we were having about messages and how I get involved. And, you know, for me, if, if a message in a, in a project that I'm working on doesn't align with mine, I just don't do it. I, I, I don't mind telling someone, I, you know, with all due respect, I don't, I don't think I can get behind this. It just doesn't feel right to me. It's, it doesn't make me feel proud to say I was part of it. And, you know, music that's denigrating to women or, you know, racial slurs and things like that. I, I just, I'm out. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Very nice to know you, but no. And I, and I've done that before and people usually are surprised that I've turned down money, I've turned down 50 grand to do a music video. And I said, they, I don't like your song. Yeah. Well, it's sad that integrity can be, be, be bought a lot of the time. Like yeah. you were saying, you know, my integrity is not for sale. It yeah. never will be. <laughs> okay. A million. Well, so, <laughs> well said. <laughs> Well, it depends Brandon. on what you're asking. Yeah. For what? What are we doing here? Well, it depends you know. on that. Much. You want me to play a crazy cop? Done. Give me the million dollars. I'm in. <laughs> Guess I won't ask you to be a part of my show where I, I prank police officers. <laughs> oh, that that would be a bad idea. <laughs> That's not. That well, show what if it was another successful. police officer that did it? <laughs> One episode. One episode. I could see episode two being a problem. <laughs> yeah. One episode might be funny. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, we should wrap this up. This has been super, super fun. Anything else you guys want to ask before we adjourn? No, it's been fun. I think we should have Tim come back. Yeah.